How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for healthcare professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Welcome back, my friends. Today, in this podcast, is going to be a little bit different. I'm actually on the uh, passenger seat today, and the driver's seat is a good friend of mine, Dr. Dmitry Ranev. And what we'll be talking today is about a pension plan, and it's going to be the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. And so a quick disclaimer and disclosure here I am the president of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. Some of you already knew that and knows that I have co-founded the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan with a pension lawyer. His name is Mr. J.P. Laporte, who uh, has also been a guest of mine on many episodes. And so today I'm going to be talking about the pension plan that we have created for all Canadian physicians in Canada. In fact, the pension plan is for every single professional who is incorporated, and this also include nurse practitioners. So I want the audience to know that this is the disclosure, and that if you are not interested in hearing about this because I am the president of this particular pension plan, then I would encourage you to stop this episode and follow me and listen to me at my next episode. But if you are interested in hearing about the first Canadian pension plan for physicians and healthcare professionals, excluding the nurses because they already have their own pension plan. If you want to hear about the first one ever in Canada, then please listen on. And again, welcome to the show and I will be in the passenger seat while Dimitri will be asking all the pertinent questions. Welcome back, everybody. We are back talking about the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan, and this is part two, where we're going to dive directly into the structure, the benefits, and the gaps of this plan. That being said, this is the first pension plan of its kind in Canada for physicians across Canada. And in fact, it is for all incorporated professionals. This also includes the nurse practitioners. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, particular episode where we dive deep into the structure of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. Welcome back, Kevin, to the Physician Appointment Podcast. This is part two of my talk with Vu. Uh, we Part one was all about the pension plan and how it's the RRSP on steroids. I got that right, correct, Vu? Absolutely. And Vu is uh, the president of the CPPP. So maybe we can start with some disclosures. Obviously, okay. we're going to talk about the product today. We'll talk about the IPP, the PPP, the MEPP, but also the CPPP. So disclosures are in, in order. Personally, I am in the process of getting a CPPP uh, because I believe in the product, but maybe you can disclose as well on your side. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Dimitri, for having me on the show again. I really appreciate uh, your time uh, and uh, your your exposure to your audience. So I am uh, Dr. Vuket Tran. I am also the founder and um, president of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. So the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan is the first pension plan for group of physicians in Canada. Everything that I say today may be construed or viewed as being biased. And obviously, I am the president of the CPPP. So what I would really want people to do is take away the information um, and do your own due diligence. Look at IPP, absolutely. Look at CPPP, absolutely. 
And if you must wait for the MEPP for Medicus and MD management and, and wait for that and do your homework, this is not going into a bank and open up an RSP, sign on the dot and start investing. This takes some time to uh, understand. But trust me, once you understand, once you've understood, it provides you that security blanket that we're all looking for. So absolutely do your due diligence. Please keep in mind that I am the president of the CPPP and things that I say may be construed as bias, but please take away only the information and the facts and, and do your own homework. And, uh, you, you know, on, as on the onboarding process, I've been very annoying to the CPPP people because I always have lots of questions. So have lots of questions. It's, it's, it is a commitment. Like once you go this route, it's, I mean, you can go back, but it's just a big commitment. It takes time. So make the choice that you're comfortable with. And, and it is a commitment for a reason, uh, Dimitri. And I want to stress this point. When I walk into a bank or any financial institution and I say, I want to open up an RSP account, it takes 10 minutes and I give them a hundred bucks and I can start buying Tesla stocks. It literally takes 10 minutes and I can invest. Even though it's a registered plan with the CRA, there's mechanisms at the bank that already did that, that registers for you with the CRA. But for an IPP or for PPP or CPPP, and I don't know about MEPP, I don't know how that would work yet, but all these are registered plans with the CRA, which means these go through the ringer <laughs> with the CRA. So every, every I's are dotted and every T's are crossed so that by the time you get your approval from CRA, you are golden. Okay, so that's why it takes that time, because it takes that time to go through the scrutiny of the CRA, which means by the time you get your pension, you are ready to go and, and it's CRA approved. That's why it takes that amount of time. Yeah, it, it's, it's work. It, there's a lot of work happening in the background once you decide to open this plan. Let's go back to we talked about pension plans in general. Do you mind if we cover the, the four options, the, the IPP, the PPP, the CPPP? Well, the MEPP, we don't necessarily know how it works. Well, we do know somewhat how it works, but not all the specifics. I think it's important that we go through at least the first three. So do you mind maybe talking a bit, a bit more about that IPP? Absolutely. Okay, so IPP stands for Individual Pension Plan. It is written inside the Income Tax Act in Section 141, uh, 147.1. So it's an actual term that the CRA uses. That's why most accountants, most lawyers, most financial institutions, most financial planners know about the IPP because it's actually written inside the Income Tax Act. So it was created in 1999 as a registered plan defined benefit only set up for one member. And the only criteria is what? Is you need to have a corporation that is the employer, which in this case is the medical professional corporation. And on a personal level, you must take a T4, not a dividend. You must take a T4 because you need to have that employer-employee relationship with that corporation. Those are the criteria. So when we look at IPP, I'm going to give you some stats example of why the IPP is so much better than the RSP and why it's a RSP on steroids. So remember in our previous episode, we talked about the RSP being calculated with 18% of last year's salary, and it has a cap of 29,300. Well, Inside a pension plan, which is an IPP, the way it's calculated, it uses a formula that calculates your defined benefit. So there's a great source by West Coast actuaries who actually published this in a table form. So if I'm age 45, for example, I'm able to put 18% with a max cap of 29,300, but in an IPP, I could put 21%. Uh, if I'm age 50, 
as I age and as I make more income, and even if I don't make more income, I'm closer to death <laughs> and I'm closer to retirement, the government allows me to put a little bit more money for my retirement. So at age 50, I now go to 23%, but the RRSP still stays at 18, remember? When I'm age 55, my IPP can go up to 25% of my current salary. The RSP still stays at 18%. At age 60, it goes up to 27%. The RSP still stays at 18. At age 65, when I'm going to retire, the, the government says, wait a minute, you're about to retire. You need a lot more money. We're allowing you to put 29% now, whereas the RSP is still 18%. Okay, So that's why the pension itself, whether it's IPP, PPP, CPP, it doesn't matter. The pension is an RSP on steroids. So what is the benefit of an IPP? Well, higher tax deductions, just from what I told you about in that table, maximum of the pension laws, you can get the maximum tax deduction that anyone can give you, that the government can give you. All the contributions are tax deductible to the corporation. So my MPC put 29% of my salary, that 29%, let's just call it 50,000 as a round number. My corporation could put, could put 50,000. Well, the entire 50,000 is written off the taxable income of my corporation. The cost of setting up this pension is borne by my corporation. So I get to expense it. I get to expense everything the setup costs, the investment costs, the advisor costs, the accounting costs, and the legal costs. Everything gets written off and expensed. Inside an RSP, I can't do that. And it reduces my corporate income. So if let's say I make 300 grand, I'm a family doctor, I make 300 grand, but now I put in 50 grand and my lawyer fee was two grand, and my accounting fee was two grand and the advisor fee was 10 grand. You imagine I start deducting all that off my 300. All of a sudden I'm at 200 or 210 or whatever it is. So my tax is not based on 300. My tax is based on 210. So that's how that works. Okay. And who benefits from the pension? Well, Vuketran does. My corporation does all that, but Vuketran benefits from the money, right? Isn't that beautiful? So the another advantage, Similar to an RRSP where I got RRSP room, but I didn't contribute, that gets carried forward and I can put in as more money as I, when my money comes in, I, I have RRSP room. Well, the advantage of the IPP is I can purchase past service. Okay, what does that mean? Well, uh, it's 2022. I set up my corporation in 2012. So for the last 10 years, I, I work, but I got a T4, I got a salary, but I only set up my pension this year, 2022. So the pension laws under section 147.1 and the government says, hey, this is similar to RSP room. Now you can buy back past service. So I can buy back 10 years of pension contribution. So you can imagine it could be based on your salary whether you're a family doctor, cardiologist, cardiovascular surgeon, neurosurgeon, whatever it is, it varies, obviously. But I can purchase back time and money. So I could purchase somewhere between 200 to almost 350 grand, right? And those 200 to 350 grand is written off this year's income, right? That's, it's beautiful. Now, here's why I say the accountants who told us not to incorporate really doesn't see the forest and sees only the tree. In other words, they are being penny wise and pound foolish. And that is absolutely to your detriment. Because they say to us, wait a minute, Vu, you don't leave any money in the corporation. There's no retained earnings, zero. It's not worth incorporating. But here's the point. If you incorporate and you take a T4 and you leave zero money in the corporation, you've just built yourself some pension room. And for 10 years, I have zero retained earnings, but I build myself some pension room. And when I'm ready, that's when I deploy everything. But if I've never set up my corporation, I don't have history. I don't have pension room. 
So this is where my opinion and that of uh, accountant is very different. I say to people, I don't care whether you have retained earnings or not. Build that history. Build that pension rule. Incorporate the moment you can, even if you leave zero dollar in your corporation. You can double dip in the first year. Why? Because remember, the RSP is, so let's say 2022, right? I decide to build my pension this year. Going forward, I could put 37,000 in my pension. Okay, let's say that's the number, that's the pension contribution. But for 2022, I also have our RSP from 2021, from past year. So in my first year, I can actually take a corporate deduction and I can also take a personal deduction through the RSP. That's only available in your first year because of that law. Okay, we talked about special payments in the first episode. So what is special payment? I love this. This is amazing. So uh, this year, I'm allowed to contribute 37000 Okay, and my portfolio didn't do very well because the market dropped by 20% in June. Okay, so inside an RSP, I already contributed my 29,200. I can't do more, I've maxed it out, that's it. But inside a pension, remember, I'm trying to meet a liability for VUCATRAN 30 years from now. I have to guarantee VU 10,000 10, per month. Remember, we used that example that I need to guarantee VU 10,000 per month. But my but in 2022, my, my portfolio just dropped by 20% because of what happened in June of 2022. The market fell on us. Well, what we do is we, we do a special adjustment with the CRA and say, hey, if I don't put more money in, Vu's not going to get his 10000 every month at age 65. So we have to make up that shortfall. So the CRA says, yeah. Uh, this year, Vu, because to make that shortfall based on the calculation actuary, you can now put an extra, I'll throw a number out, 15000 So this year, not only did Vu put the 37000 Vu is allowed to put another 15000 When I say Vu, I mean Vu MPC, okay? So Vu MPC is allowed to put another 15000 So Vu MPC, all of a sudden in 2022, can, can now write off, 49,000 as opposed to only, oh, sorry, 52,000 as opposed to only 37. And on top of that, the 15,000 that got in, got into the market at its lowest. And when it goes back up and it makes the capital gains, it's not taxed because it's inside a pension. It's tax deferred. So this special payment option feature of the IPP is amazing, right? When the market drops, all the people who own IPPs and PPPs just rejoice to say, oh my God, let's go to Walmart. There's a discount, right? Whereas everybody who sits inside an RSP are now scrambling. Oh my God, they're all, they're all scared. They're all anxious. How is my retirement going to happen? They're all losing sleep. Whereas all those guys with pension, and by the way, similar with the teacher's pension plan, right? The market dropped by 20%. They have a 20% downfall, shortfall. They have to make it up. But who makes it up? Who pays for that? Yeah, who pays for that? The taxpayers. <laughs> right. Right? Right. The taxpayers yeah. make up for it. Right. But inside an IPP and PPP, well, who's the employer? The employer is us, our MPC. Whereas the teachers, well, it's the school board that makes up for it. But who pays the school board? The taxpayers. Right? So when the market drops, the teachers are happy because they get, they get more money, but they get it from you and I. <laughs> Right. Okay. Uh, income splitting before age 65. So inside an RSP, when I, when it's time to take out, and let's say I take out the minimum distribution, right? Under the RIF, there's a minimum distribution. I can only income split if I'm over age 65 or my spouse is over age 65. But inside a pension, I don't have to. So I decide to, you know what, I'm done. I'm burnt out. I don't want to practice medicine anymore. And you and I just talked offline about three of your colleagues who decided to retire from medicine. So let's just say I'm burnt out too. And I want to retire at age 50. I don't want to work till age 65. So I start taking my pension. Well, when I start taking my pension, it's taxed as regular income. To reduce that tax burden, I income split with my spouse at age 50, not at age 65. 
Okay, so that's another benefit of the IPP. Okay, all that being great, there are some drawbacks of the IPP. One of the drawback, and it's a major drawback, major, major, major drawback, is that actuarially speaking, because remember, this is a DB plan, defined benefit. So when the actuary calculates the DB plan and the formula that they use before the age 60, before age 45, from an actuary standpoint, it does not make sense. You're going to end up losing money. You might as well put your money in an RSP. So if you want to do an IPP, you have to wait till age 45. So the question you're going to say was, wait a minute, Vu, I graduated and I started practicing when I was 30 or 32. Why do I have to wait an extra 13 years to do this beautiful, wonderful thing? And for the next 13 years, you're forcing me to do an RSP. Well, that's the drawback. Okay. Because it does not make sense actuarially before age 45. When you do an IPP, you cannot do a personal RSP. So you either do a pension or you do an RSP, but not both. You cannot also belong to another pension. So it's not like I can do an IPP and also belong to my hospital's pension. I can't do that. It's one or the other. When you do a DB plan, there's inside the Income Tax Act that if uh, if your your portfolio is performing really well, above 9.3%, which can happen. So in 2021, the market went crazy and it did 21%. Well, when it does that good, the government says, hey, Vu, your plan is really making a lot of money. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't allow you to contribute this year because you're making so much money already. You're good. So inside an IPP, inside a defined benefit plan, I have to take a contribution holiday. I cannot contribute this year. So remember, the 37000 that I was hoping to put to reduce my income, I can't do that this year because the market was so good, okay? So when it hits above 9.3%, I have to take a contribution holiday. And another disadvantage, which is across all of them, is it takes time. You know that, Dimitri. It takes time. It takes effort. There is some administrative costs. But those administrative costs, in my mind, are minimal in comparison to all the great things that I've just said about the IPP. So when you take everything all together, net, net, net everything, the IPP is still an amazing vehicle, amazing, amazing solution. Agreed. And if if you go back to the difference in contribution room between the IPP and the RSP, which goes up as far as almost, what is that? Almost 9% towards the end. Yeah. So if let's, let's not look at the end. I don't like to look at the end. Let's just look at age 55, right? Like right in the middle. So an RSP maximum is 18%, but the IPP is 25. So we're already talking a difference of 7%. Which don't forget that that's that, that you're losing seven percent in compounding every year as well, which is Absolutely. which ends up being a lot more than seven percent when you do retire. Absolutely, that, that's a big big difference. Huge, huge. Yeah. So when I said an a pension, whether it's IPP or PPP or CPPP, it doesn't matter. It is in fact an RRSP on steroids because right. there's so much more you can put. But don't forget, it's not just that amount. It's that amount compounded. Yes. And we all know the magic of compounding, right? Well, if we don't know the magic, we should learn about the magic now. (laughs) (laughs) So so the IPP, it's the RSP on steroids. There's some disadvantages. The big one that I see here is that 45 age limit. Um, Huge disadvantage. Huge. It's a huge one. So does the PPP get around that, that age? Absolutely. And, and how, how does that happen? Ah, here we go. You ready? Right, right, I'm ready. Okay, buckle up, buckle up. Here we go. So remember I said that the PPP is just the next better version of the IPP. So the PPP itself is not written inside the Income Tax Act. You will not find PPP inside the Income Tax Act. You will find the IPP inside the Income Tax Act. So what is in fact a PPP? 
a PPP uses the chassis of the IPP. So it's actually written inside the income tax as, as an IPP. But now you add on to that a combination plan with a DC component and an AVC component. So when you fill out the paper for CRA, and it's, in fact, it's not you that does that, it's Integris and JP and their team that does that. Inside that form, what they do is they, they tick off IPP, which is the base, and then they add two more things. They add a DC component and they add an AVC component. So AVC is additional voluntary contribution. That is a lesser impact account. So I'm not going to talk about that, but I'm going to talk about the DC account because it's extremely important because it explains the, the 45 year old thing. So think the PPP is an IPP on steroids. So it's now the RRSP on double steroids. Okay. So how does it work? The PPP the personal pension plan was created in 2009. So it's a better version 10 years later. It's a better version of the IPP. It's also a registered plan. It's a DB account like the IPP, but on top of that, it tacks on a DC account, a defined contribution account. Now you can decide as Dimitri, and I can decide as Vuketran MPC or Dimitri MPC, which account I want to use this year. So I have the option to flip-flop every single year. This year, I'm going to use DB. Next year, I'm going to use DC. The year after that, I'm going to use DB. And the year after that, I'm going to use DC. Now, obviously, we don't do that for no good reason. We do that for a reason. So what are the reasons? The first reason is the age of 45. Okay. Remember, we said that if we're using a DB account, and we have a DB account only, when the actuary calculates my contribution, and I'm only 30 years old, I'm not 45, the actuary calculation will come up negative and actually says, Vu, you're probably better to put it in an RSP and don't put it in a DB account because actuarially it does not make sense. You're going to end up losing money. But if you have a DC account between the age of 30 to 45, you don't take the DB, you do the DC. The DC account gives you roughly the same amount of money as the RRSP, but a little bit more, not that much more, but a little bit more. So you're actually playing the game of the RRSP, okay? Then the question is, well, Vu, what's, what's the point? It's an RSP, uh, but here's the point. All the asset, uh, uh, administrative fee, all the advisor fee, all the legal fee, all the accounting fee, all the set, all that is deducted off your corporate income. And remember, it's a pension. It's not an RSP. Let's say I didn't know that I was going to live till 44. I get hit by a Mack truck. I'm, I started at 30 and at 44, I get hit by a Mack truck. If it was inside an RSP, half of it is gone in deemed disposition. Inside a pension, there is no deemed disposition because a DC account is still a pension. So you get the benefit of the pension with the same amount or a little bit better than an RSP. So you can start doing that at age 30, not at age 45. So the question is, well, Vu, if it's not that much better, why would you do it? Well, all the fees that I've talked about, the fact that there's no deemed disposition and the fact that it's creditor protected is the most solid protection you can get. If someone wanted to challenge you and me, we can lose our RSPs, but no one can challenge our pension. No one. So it offers a greater creditor protection than RSPs. So for those reasons, you still want a pension and not an RSP. Inside a PPP, because you have these two components of DBDC, you can do that. Inside an RP, because inside an IPP, because you only have a DB component, you don't even have the option of doing what I said. And, and you have to wait till 45. 
But Dimitri, you and I know when is the best time to think about retirement. Right now. The first day of practice. The first day of practice. Do I want to wait till I'm 45? Of course not. I want to think about it and I want to do it the first day of practice. Because I want that security blanket, not at age 45. I want that security blanket when I'm 33 and I have my first kid. I don't want it at 45. I want it at 30, 32 when I have my first kid, right? I want that security blanket. And so that's the downfall of the IPP. So you think of the IPP as a really sharp serrated knife. You think of the PPP as a really sharp multifunctional Swiss knife. And what about the contribution holiday? Does that exist in the, in the PPP as well? Let's say you did 20%, the S&P went, went up, your investments went up a lot. How uh, does that work? Yeah, great question. So you don't have to do a contribution holiday because the contribution holiday only applies to the DB account. Right. right. So when, when you have to take a contribution holiday under the DB account, you go to Integris and you say, hey, I want to do DC this year. Right. So you now switch to the DC account. You contribute to the DC account. Now, okay, you won't contribute as much as the DB. I get it. But it's not zero. It's it's almost actually not almost. It's just as good as an RSP account. But at least you get to contribute twenty nine thousand three hundred as opposed to contributing nothing. great so so no age limit um no, no contribution holiday i'm assuming you still can't have a personal rsp with this plan. correct correct and you can't have another pension plan it's this correct. is your pension plan okay correct now there's another there's another um there's another beautiful thing about uh the fact that you have a dc and a db right so remember when i talked about the intergenerational wealth transfer. So let's say I pass away, my spouse pass away. And remember I talked about the 4 million that is remaining in my pension. Well, that 4 million gets dumped into, in case of an IPP, that 4 million gets dumped into the DB account. When that 4 million surplus gets dumped into the DB account, the government will say, wait a minute, you just got a a shot in the arm, a really good booster of 4 million. You're not going to be able to contribute for a long, long time. You're going to have to take a, a DB contribution holiday. And remember, 4 million is a long DB contribution holiday. It is. Yeah. But it doesn't happen with the PPP. Because what would you do? Instead of doing DB, you do what? DC. You do DC. Mm. So... In the PPP, not only do you get that big booster in your arm, you can also continue to contribute wow. despite the $4 million surplus. Wow. That's where their DC is so powerful. And people don't recognize that. People say, oh, it's a gimmick. It's DC. It's a gimmick. No, it's not a gimmick. You, do you want a knife or do you want a Smith Army knife? Like, essentially, that's the question. It offers you a lot of flexibility. Now, again, I must disclose to the audience, I am the president of the CPPP, which is built on the building block of the PPP. So you hear me being very excited about this, okay? But I want people to understand, obviously, I'm biased. I, I don't hide the fact that I'm biased, but these are the facts, okay? So I just want people to understand that. Okay, another, another reason why the DC offers another advantage. The fact that it's not the fact that it's a DC, but you can flip between that flexibility of DC, DB. Here's why I say this. Now, I do not hide the fact that I love whole life insurance. <laughs> I do not hide it. And you've mentioned earlier in the other podcast that if you're going to diversify, you might as well diversify. And a whole life insurance is just another asset. It's, a, it's in my mind, the greatest risk-adjusted asset you can find on earth. Right? 
the greatest risk adjusted asset you can find on earth. Inside a PPP, it makes sense to purchase life insurance. Why? So I decide to buy a policy worth 5 million, right? That's an example. I decide to buy a policy worth 5 million. At time of my death, the 5 million goes into the DB pension plan and goes into the DB account. So remember that 4 million that I had? I now all of a sudden have another 5 million. So now in my DB account, I all of a sudden have 9 million. The entire 9 million gets shifted to my kids inside the DB account, 9 million tax-free. Now, if I did that inside an IPP, I just shot myself in the foot because yeah, it's great. I got 9 million shot in the arm, a great booster, but I will never contribute ever again, ever. Again, <laughs> inside the PPP, I take that 9 million inside the DB account and I continue to contribute inside the DC account. So that's why if I want to use insurance as another asset, you can't do it inside an IPP because you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. So, so again, we're talking about leaving something to your children. Living something to your children. Now, people are saying, Vu, why do you want to leave children? Why do you want to leave things to your children? People ask me all the time. Really? Let, let your children fend for themselves. They're, they'll be adults. Well, you know what? When my baby was born, when my son was born, and he was one day old, I made a promise. And that promise is I'm going to live, I'm going to love you forever, regardless. I'm going to love you forever. Whether you are zero years old or whether you're 89 years old, you're still going to be my baby. And just because you pass a arbitrary age of 18 doesn't mean I love you less. And I'm going to make, I'm going to try my darn best to give you the best life possible, whether you're zero years old or you're 89 years old and I'm a hundred and something. I, we work in long-term care, right? You and I, we have, we have patients who are 102 and their children are 79 and they still treat their 79-year-old children like children. Do you see that? I've seen that. Right? I've seen that. Because they love their kids. And so for me, that love doesn't end just because of an arbitrary age of 18. And, you know, as, as an individual myself, you know, I'm, I'm Vuket Tran. I'm, I'm a guy. I, I work. I work emerge. I have enough to live on. Like, to be honest, I don't need that much to live on. I could live on a $10 a day, right? I, I don't need that much. I don't drive a fancy car. I could, but I don't. So do I need all that money? No, I don't. So why am I doing all this? Why am I doing all this if I don't need all that money? It doesn't make me more happier. I mean, okay, having $1 versus $1,000, I'll be happier at 1000 But will I be happier at 10000 I'm not sure that I will. So it's not like having more money makes me more happy. So why am I doing all this? I'm doing all this for my kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids' kids. Because myself, I have enough to live on. And so if I'm doing this for my own retirement and I'm doing this, I'm doing this for my children. And this is the best way to do it. Because mm -hmm. me, myself, I'm not a big spender. And so all these planning is to really plan for my retirement and the next generation. You and I know, Dimitri, I, 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 I'm certainly certain of that right now. My kids will never be able to buy a home. Yeah. Ever. My yes. kids will, will not be able to afford the home unless I do something about it now. Because by the time they are adults, it's going to be way overpriced. They cannot. They'll be lucky if they find a job. Yeah. Right. So as a parent, I'm planning for my own future and I'm planning for their future. That's why I'm doing this. And and the PPP allows you to do that. The IPP does not, even though the IPP is an amazing product, by the way, I have nothing against the IPP. It's just that the PPP is an IPP on steroids. That, that's the only way I see it. So, so we've talked about the oral steroids. So you've given the IPP oral steroids, you've got to the PPP. Let's give some IV steroids and get to the CPPP. Great. So I'll tell, tell me about that. Tell me what you've added.
Great, perfect. So again, another disclosure. Okay, I really, really want to make sure this is not a sales, a, a promotional podcast. Please, I, I don't want people to walk in way. Vu all he did was sell his CPPP. No, no, I'm just giving you the facts. Full disclosure. So remember, Dimitri, in our past episode, when I said I took these pension plans, and what I did is I customized it for the physician in mind. And this is what I mean. I really customize it for the physician in mind. And I can only give you that sense if I talk about the MEPP first, okay? Okay. So the MEPP is the multi-employer pension plan, which is what Medicus is when it gets launched. And an MEPP is the same as OMERS, is the same as HOOP. It's the same as the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, B. That, by the way, I want to make this really clear. It is an am amazing pension plan, like amazing. The Ontario Teachers Pension Plan is the biggest pension plan in Canada. It holds $260 billion in assets. It has assets across the world, completely diversified. The teachers have it really, really good. And if I want a pension plan, that's what I want until I created the CPPP. Okay, so here's why. The MEPP has all the benefits that I talked about when the IPP and PPP, except for the age issue, because I could be a 25-year-old teacher and still belong to a pension. So it has all those. But it has one major drawback. And that major drawback is the fact that when the teacher dies, the pension rolls over to the spouse. And when the spouse dies, for example, in my example, if they were driving down to Florida and gets hit by a Mack truck and both of them dies, the surplus money, the 4 million that I was talking about, you know, that 4 million example, doesn't go to the kids. It goes back to the pool to the other 35,000 teachers. Now, that is good, but it's not amazing. Now, we are not teachers. We have something more than what the teachers have. We are independent and we have corporations. That's what gives us the leg up. Do you agree? Yes. So if we have that leg up, why would I want a leg down pension? Does not make sense. So the MEPP Medicus has a major flaw, and that major flaw is it, it does not meet the needs of a physician. So when I created the CPPP, I took a wholly different philosophy, totally different. I said to myself, if I'm working this hard, working like a crazy madman and burning out along the way, and I'm trying to leave all this money to my children, why do I want this to go back to the pool? It doesn't make sense. There has to be something that we can do about it. So what I said is, okay, let's do the individual pension plan, the IPP. And then when I looked at the PPP, I'm like, well, that's better. So let's use the PPP. So what I did is to create the CPP, the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan, I used the best building block, the best Lego piece that I can find. The best Lego piece that I can find was the PPP. That's the building block. What I did with that, I says, okay, what am I going to do with one building block with only Vuketran MPC? Like there's only 4 million in there. What is he going to buy? I mean, he's going to buy a bunch of ETFs and stocks and, and bonds, and that's about it. But if, if, if Dr. M Vuketran MPC wanted to buy a piece of Life Labs, they wanted to buy a piece of Biron Laboratoire, they wanted to buy a piece of Brookfield uh, Investment, they wanted to buy a piece of you know, Kaiser Permanente in California. He can't because he's only got 4 million. So what are we going to do with that? So what I, what I said to uh, JP is, okay, let's build a house with these Lego blocks. So I'm going to use my PPP. I'm going to use Dimitri's PPP. I'm going to use Dr. Smith's PPP. I'm going to use Dr. Jones' PPP. We're going to put all these PPPs together into one house called a master trust. So all of a sudden, 
instead of me, Dr. Buketran NPC has 4 million, you know, we put our millions together. All of a sudden, we're now 2 billion. And with 2 billion, we now can go to Kaiser Permanente and say, hey, I want to participate in your growth. Or I can go to Laboratoire Biron and say, hey, I want to buy 30% of your company. Or I can go to the, um, you know, the wind farm in, in the Netherlands and say, you guys are developing uh, sustainable energy. I, I like your wind farm project. I want to invest in your wind farm project. I can never do that with 4 million, but with a billion, yeah, we could do that, right? So what I've done is I've created an idea to build a house for economies of scale. That's the first thing. The, the second thing is when you do that, you now have options in what you can invest in. As I said, you had a million or four million, you can invest in e-stocks, ETFs, and bonds, and REITs, and that's about it. But once you have more money, you can now dream and say, I want to buy that wind farm in the Netherlands. That's possible now. And at four million, I walk into any bank, pick a bank. I walk into any financial institution and say, hey, I got four million, invest that for me. And they'll say, yeah, you know, Dr. Tran, it's 1.5% of asset under management. But if I have a billion and I walk into a bank and say, hey, I want you to invest that for me. If they charge me 1.5 million, I walk away, right? Because you should be charging me 0.3%, right? That's where the economies of scale comes in. And with that economies of scale, I didn't want to lose the fact that we have a corporation. I did not want to lose the fact that we are individuals and we want to care for our family. So what does that mean? I build the house with the different building blocks, but the building block itself is still a PPP. So one day, if Vuketran says, listen, I'm moving to uh, Portugal. <laughs> I like Portuguese wine and I want you know the Mediterranean wind and I don't want to participate in the CPP anymore. I'm going to walk away. If you are inside an MEPP like the teachers, you can't. You walk away, you take your money, you get taxed, and then you walk away. Inside the CPPP, because it's a building block with Lego blocks, I take your Lego block and I put someone else's Lego block. But the Lego block that you took away is still your PPP. It's still a pension. You walk away with all the features of a pension and you can still walk away. So the CPPP preserves that individuality. It gives us economies of scale. It gives us purchasing power. It gives us strength and solidarity, but it preserves the individuality. The MEPP does not do that. And neither can it do intergenerational wealth transfer. So when I built this, I, I wanted all the elements that I, as a physician, would want. That's how I built it. You know, I, I, when you first told me about the CPPP, I, I told you that Kevin and I had always dreamed about being able to do some, like to be able to, you know, have something like this for physicians where, yes, you can invest in wind farms. Yes, you, you can you can invest in these big projects. It just didn't exist and it exists now. It, it does. And thank you so much. I, I sincerely say thank you for coming up with that. And I love the fact that if you don't like it, you can just come out, take you become, I guess you transfer from a CPPP to a PPP. Correct. And you still keep your pension. And you keep your pension. And you still have all the advantages of a pension. That, that's great. That, that's, the, that's really great. The only, thing, the only thing you lose is the economies of scale and the right. purchasing power. Right. But, but all the other benefits of the pension inside, written inside section 147.1 of the Income Tax Act, you keep all that. You don't keep all that inside an MEPP. You decide to walk away, you lose everything. Again, to our listeners, I mean, this is information only. Um, do your research, ask questions. The team is great. I've talked to them. They'll answer your questions. Um, they'll send you emails. They're very proactive. And see if it's right for you. Um, is, are there any parting thoughts that you want to 
that you want to leave with in terms of pensions, the CPPP, and anything else? Yeah, I don't want this to be a sales promotional episode, so I'm not going to talk about the CPPP. The, the parting message that I want for our audience today, there is a better solution than the RRSP. There mm-hmm. absolutely is. 100% of us have accountants, but less than 1% of us know about this. There's a huge disconnect in the market right now. So do yourself a favor, do your homework. There is a solution to provide you a sec- a, an amazing security blanket, whether you think IPP is best for you, whether you think PPP is best for you, whether you think CPPP is best for you, it does not matter. Do your homework, do your due diligence. But the fact is, there is something better than the RSP that allows you to, to plan for that financial security. And it's out there. It's out there. It's been out there since 1999, but not many of us know about it. So please do your homework, do your due diligence. And as much as I want to talk about my product, I don't want to. I just want to make sure that people understand that pensions are available for physicians out there. Thank you. I think that that's a great way to end the episode. I really appreciate your time, Vu. I hope to talk to you again. Maybe we'll talk about life insurance. Hey. <laughs> it's probably worth an episode, isn't it? Oh my God, I can talk all day about life insurance. <laughs> but thank you again. It's been a pleasure as always, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you very much, Dimitri. Thank you for having me. The concept of pensions for incorporated professionals and physicians is a very complicated topic. It is definitely not as simple as walking into a bank, sign a dot on the dotted line, and then start uh, investing in your RSP. It is much more complicated than that, but it's still not rock and science, and it's still not neurosurgery, definitely not nephrology. And so easy to understand, or I should say relatively easy to understand, but takes a few listening to, to actually get it right. So you may have to listen to these episodes, episodes one and two, maybe several times before you grasp all the concepts. Don't worry if you don't. Um, There are people who are here to help. So if you want to reach out to the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan, the team is there to help you understand. And there is no pressure to join at all. Again, if if you don't think that this is right for you, don't join. Continue in your current course or figure out with your financial planner what is the best course for you. I hope you have enjoyed these two episodes on the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan, so a pension plan for physicians across Canada. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your colleagues, your friends, your dogs, and your cats. And if you want to leave me your feedback or comments, please email me at hmfhd. 2020 at gmail.com. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial tax investment or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.